All right, and we are live. All right, so welcome awesome. back, my uh, henchman here. So I have two very special guests here, uh, one of which is going to be my new co-host here. Uh, so, Beef, I will let you introduce yourself here. Um, I am uh, Beef and Abby, or Lonesome Conrad. Uh, I used to fight other people's wars in exchange for very shitty amounts of money. <laughs> Um, don't do that. They then also. Gotcha. All right. Well, thank you, Vega. All right. And Soren. Hi. Uh, my name is Soren, uh, and I'm just a guy. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So let's get into the meat and potatoes here. Today, our topic is going to be everybody's favorite, Max. So the first thing that we're going to be doing here is going over some of the technical limitations and how those are not quite limitations anymore. Uh, so the first thing to go over is the, the main problem that you're going to have with building a Mac, which is balance and computers. So we aren't, we aren't quite there yet. However, there are AI-assisted programs that are basically have led to machines that can maybe not run but can walk upright and over obstacles mm -hmm. so we're, we're getting there on that uh another thing that can help with that is the actual locomotion uh generation uh so one of the the problems that you're going to have is how do you actually get a mech to move and most people in, in, in media, those are usually some sort of piston, electromechanical. But yeah. the future is in electromuscles. So these are basically fiber optic, or not fiber optic cables, but electro -recept uh, receptive uh, materials. They contract just like the muscles in the human body when applied to uh, when an electric current is applied. So yeah, very cool act, stuff. Yeah, they act just like muscles, and this also helps in balance because one of the things that the human body does to uh, for balance is it actually shifts weight with the with with those muscles to actually keep balance. So instead of having you know, big, massive uh, weights that you move around to actually keep balance. These electro muscles that are already part of the locomotion can actually help to keep balance itself. So that's one of the, the big things that's, that's coming here. It's it's on the on the horizon. Uh, but yeah, um, as far as control. One of the things that I see a lot in, you know, sci-fi is every mech has a cockpit and all these levers and buttons and switches. That's not really going to work too well with a, uh, a, a bipedal machine that needs such fine motor control. But we are in the process of developing mind-machine interfaces. Hell yeah. Yes. Hell yeah. So one of the things that I've actually I've actually seen is uh have you ever seen those uh like the cat ears that people have? 
Yes. Yes, of course. So there are actually there are companies that are making those, but you can actually move the cat ears with your mind. <laughs> okay, now that's wild. Yeah. So it, it's it's out the cat girl end of the internet to be more advanced than the rest of us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah, we're getting there on the mind machine interfaces. As a as a matter of fact, um, I can't remember how long the Air Force has been working on it, but they've been they're the the main ones that have been pushing this technology for fighters for fighter aircraft. Uh, I don't know how long they've been working on it, but they've been working on it for at least at least a decade. Uh, so it's it's getting there. It's almost there. Uh, it's just got a little bit more to go. So I have that, a question. Yes. So like, you're gonna be plugged in to okay. the Mac. Are you still gonna be inside of it? Or are you gonna be sort of like remotely drone controlling it, but but via mm -hmm. some sort of neural link? That is actually so. What I was just about to talk talk about, uh, and I'd like to actually get uh, Beef's input here on this. Because yeah. you can do both, but as far as which would be better, uh, I'm going to leave that up to uh, Beef. Um, I mean, okay, so it's uh, this particular question is a pretty classic trade-off between having basically a bright, flashing red vulnerable spot from a video game on your mech and have being really vulnerable to uh, electronic countermeasures. Um, even just you don't have to you don't have to be able to decipher codes or inject commands into software you just need to be able to blanket the em with enough interference that commands yep. are getting through correctly so each one of these has, has a really it's like main i don't know disadvantage trade-off yeah. probably putting putting the body or the brain outside of the body into the mech itself is going to give you uh I mean, we're already building something of this size. We are already using a wet dry interface. We might as well just put the uh, controller inside it so that it can be controlled locally by a mind. Yeah. Uh, and, That's and where I'm Yeah, and one thing that I would like to add here is with the advances that we've made in AI, of course, of course, once we start talking about putting AI in control instead of a human, we're, we're really not talking about mechs mm. anymore. We're talking about full-on robots. Uh, mm -hmm. But that's that's another thing that I would... I would uh, you know, caution out there as, as something that would be possible. Not quite sure how I would feel about any military having a completely AI yeah. force of 20-foot-tall death machines <laughs> roaming around without any Not human good. input. But, you know, uh, it would certainly be possible in the near future. So, I mean, at that point, you're really entering a discussion into like what is the nature of AI and consciousness, whether it's even possible to run something with uh, the sophistication and the like three-dimensional integration abilities of a human brain. Yeah, well. Is whether uh, that... it's even possible to build that out of uh, hardware. We don't really know because we don't have quantum computers yet. Yeah, uh, I mean, they're, they're getting there. Like they have uh, AI robots yeah. like Osimo that will run without a human input at all. But they're not oh, like oh, they're that's the, frightening. Yeah, the, the the fine motor control isn't quite there yet. That's one of the mm -hmm. things that they they test in these competitions, these AI competitions. Um, they're they're getting to the point where it might be usable for like firefighting. 
and, and other similar roles, but not like you would definitely want human backups because they're not like the, the fine oh, yeah. motor control and the, and the strength isn't, isn't quite there. So, uh, well, in my, uh, in my non-military background, uh, I'm a, I'm a machinist. I work with automated equipment all the time and I can definitely tell you that, uh, while we've been looking at lights out manufacturing processes for a while, um, it doesn't look like we're ever going to get there unless we get to strong AIs because yeah. of because of the three dimensional uh, uh, visual integration abilities that we have. Yeah. You just can't you can't have a machine check a machine's work uh, unless the machine understands something about what the other machine is doing. Yeah, and that's that's one of the big hurdles with AI is actually being able to represent in the machine's understanding the world around mm -hmm. it. Uh, that's that's the big hurdle that we're facing right now. Uh, the, the way they do it is the, the there's a, a, a camera that they use, but it it translated and translates the world around it into a series of dots. Like if you've ever mm -hmm. seen how a how a connect uh, views the world, it's just all, a whole bunch of dots. Like if you've ever seen uh, what's mm -hmm. that movie? Um, Paranormal Activity, the ghost dimension, when they have the infrared system and it has all the dots around, that's that's what it looks like to a computer. But the problem is that's not a very accurate view of the world and it's not a very high definition view of the world. So mm. that's one of the, the big limitations that we have here. Well, and so that's, there's a, there's a thing about the doctrinal of uh, deployment of the mechs. If you are expecting them to cooperate with any other kind of forces, they're going to need to have maybe not necessarily human interaction because we're talking brain in a jar type stuff. But there's going to need to be a mind piloting every X number of them if they're going to be right. interacting with people on the ground, infantry folks like I used to be. Right. Um, on the other hand, if you're talking about just uh, more or less a terror weapon where you just drop a dozen of these into a city from orbit and they're remotely piloted or they're uh, they're like autonomous and their mission is understood to be suicidal, like you could have different like different formats or different approaches to the deployment of these things, depending sort of on what your ethical outlook is and what your goals are. Oh, I hadn't even thought about dropping them in as, as suicide units. That's oh, that, <laughs> oh it's that a is very traditional use for mechs in science fiction, actually. Really, uh, not on purpose, but as a as like a desperation measure. Yeah, that's yeah. a very dramatic thing. Some of the pilots have to sacrifice themselves. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's a very cool story thing. <laughs> yep. Uh, speaking of sci-fi, uh, the next limitation that I that I have here that I want to go over is kind of the big one, and that's mm. power generation. <laughs> so. Yeah, so let's let's go over that and uh, the ground pressure problem at the same time here because they're kind of related. So I've actually got a I've actually done a chart for how big you can make a mech. So the way I did this is I took Osimo and I basically scaled Osimo up with some bigger feet, uh, not unreasonably sized feet. You know, six inches wide, a foot long for Osimo, and then I scaled that up. And what I found 
was that you can make a mech that doesn't have any more ground pressure than, say, a Abrams tank up to, uh, let me see here, I think it was pressure, up to about 20 foot tall. 20 or 30 yeah, foot 20 tall. feet. 20 feet on feet that are six inches by a foot each, two of them? Oh, no, 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 that's that's scaling the feet up as well. Oh, okay, sorry. Yeah. So, so that's basically taking Osmo, giving him, or giving it, six uh, feet that are six inches wide and 12 feet, or 12 inches long, and then scaling mm. that up. Got it, okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So um, at, I mean that makes a lot more sense. Um, I will say that I don't know if you've ever seen what an Abrams tank does to the ground, but uh, that's an yeah. awful lot of ground pressure to preserve the integrity of infrastructure. Yeah. Uh, and and up to I think it is. Oh, actually, did I get that wrong? Oh, I did get that wrong. That is. Sorry, I converted that number wrong. Osimo is four foot tall. So that would be for an Abrams without armor. Abrams is 15 PSI. Uh, 27 and a half size factors. So that is, let me do some quick math here. 27 and a half. I think Osimo is a little bit more intimidating than I thought. A <laughs> hundred and eight feet tall. Sorry. That is now th there are some heavy caveats to that. That's not that wouldn't be something that you would want to consider as a military weapon because that is scaling Osimo up and Osimo has yeah. a plastic outer co casing. So well, what it means is that our 20 foot mech could now be 20 to 30 feet and a lot more heavily armored than we thought. Yes. Uh, so what I what I did for that is I did use the Abrams ground pressure as the basis uh, and I took an armor volume of three inches, uh, which is the same that you have on the Bradley as and I put mm -hmm. that basically as a shell around it all around. So it's completely encased in three inches of armor. And for that, I got, you can have a carry capacity of nine tons extra at a size factor of 4.5, which is about 20 feet. Uh, and then after that, it starts decreasing up to mm -hmm. about five and a half times, which is, that's about 21, 22 feet tall. Uh, and up to six size factors, which is 24 foot tall, you still have a carry capacity of, uh, so this is an excess carry capacity of uh, 4,687 uh, 4, uh, pounds. So that's 4,000 pounds of, of, of armament you can add. So is that, well, is this just the armor or is this including the mass of the body? That is including, that is everything. That is okay, the armor. Yeah. Well, that makes sense. Yeah, that's that's when I say the carry capacity. That is, um, okay. 
just the excess that you have for carrying things around, uh, be they weapons or whatever building materials you want. That's a, that's an interesting trade-off. So the heavier version of the mech would need to have something like, uh, well, assuming that energy weapons wind up massing less when you include ammunition, you probably need something more like energy weapons. Well, that's the that's or, a crazy thing because in our, our previous yeah. episode on lasers, we went we basically went over how energy weapons are far less efficient uh, in terms of damage done yeah. to target at, when compared to, uh, say, kinetic weapons. Well, now, so I mean, or something for kinetic weapons, something like dumb slugs, nothing yeah, fancy. Right. Now you could, since um, we're already saying that we're going to need a, a heavy power source, and this is how we're, we get back into the power source here, yeah. they're going to require something like probably a subcompact fusion reactor or some other sort of high-density battery charge. So if you're already running it off of that, then you can start introducing railguns into the system. Oh, yes. Yep. Um, so, the, an interesting thing here, when I was uh, going over fiction stuff that I'm familiar with for mechs, um, I don't see a reason to put a reactor inside the mech. Uh, that sounds like a huge, horrible safety issue. Mm-hmm. The only reason you'd want to take a risk like that is if this is the kind of unit that gets dropped into a planetary atmosphere, maybe not on a suicide mission, but on an independent mission. Yeah, and, and that I have seen is specifically in um, in Gundam the Eighth MS team. They actually use one of the mechs, like they send it into a confined tunnel and let the enemy mm-hmm. shoot at it to basically blow it up as an yeah. improvised <laughs> nuclear device. Yeah. Well, so. I mean, when you're carrying around a little pinpoint of a sun, you have a weapon the final option weapon that can't be taken away from you. Yeah. Now, of course, we're, we're also, this is, this is any sort of electromechanical or electric drive system. So you could also have advanced uh, hydrogen fuel cells or anything mm-hmm. in, that comes in the future. So. Uh, so just like in a theoretical sense, from sort of a tactical and engineering perspective, um, mm-hmm. You want like either you want to have reactors dangerously in the uh, in the mech's frame itself, or you probably like you said the hydrogen fuel cells, some kind yeah. of space battery that you can just swap out real quick. Yeah, um, that would allow uh, every X number of these, say like four to eight of them, to come with like a, a tender or a, a support vehicle of some kind that will rapidly do battery changes for them yep. without humans needing to lift something that's probably a ton or two. Yep. Um, the idea of these things having a, uh, an alternative use uh, for like construction or field fortification purposes also like merely having that option conceptually to the doctrine gives you a lot of really cool potential options in terms of if you're writing a story about these describing how they interact. Yeah. Um, Cause it's, you'd look cool as fuck. Look cool as fuck. Yeah, so uh, speaking of that, let's go right into the tactical 
uh, applications and advantages here. Uh, so, Beef, you want to go ahead and uh, take it away here? Yeah. Um, so, the thing about uh, thing about something like a Mac, like we've talked about, uh, sort of some of the, the potential technical and physical limitations. The reason why you would need you would have a lot of things like this and deploy them would basically be you are the kind of power that does uh, planetary invasions because and we had discussed sort of in the in the prep for this episode the idea of uh, <clears throat> excuse me <sighs> we had discussed before this episode the idea of uh, of how the the trade-off for the tactical flexibility of these uh, sort of impacts their ability to perform on the battlefield in a specialized role. And so that was, I've been thinking about this since we talked about it. And the only thing I can think of continues to be, we care less about, um, we care less about tactical special, uh, specialization than we do about having something we can drop into the atmosphere that can support our infantry forces. Uh, and they can, they can do it within seconds of dropping down. Yep probably before infantry could even recover from a drop. Yeah. Um, so we're talking about, I don't know, some kind of, uh, some kind of interstellar or interplanetary at least empire that's, uh, that's deploying these. Now, the reason why you would want more specialized uh, units in the kind of role these are uh, filling is because uh, we've talked like they're really, um, they, they can, they have their pseudo musculature that allows them to auto level in a way that other machines can't but they're still going to be vulnerable to being knocked over by things like huge chunks of rubble on a cable, yeah. for instance. Um, and that's like the real important thing to consider with a unit like this. So um, the mission, the grossly the mission of, uh, of ground infantry is to engage in close combat with enemies and destroy them. So if you show me a group of four of these mechs and say you have to take these figure out how to take these out with infantry well now i'm looking for any possible weakness they have our mission is already that we have to do the supremely dumb thing of attacking these giant robots so now we have to figure out how to do it with as few casualties as possible so now we're talking about exploiting things like uh, the sensory suite vulnerabilities in that um if these are AIs and they are not, uh, they're not like uh, meat consciousnesses in a jar, um, they're gonna have things about the way they see the world that we can exploit. They're gonna be things that we wouldn't anticipate. So it's gonna require expending lives against them to figure out how they think. Um, and that's what everything about these mechs comes down to basically is that um, they're not gonna be perfect at anything but uh, they're going to be very expensive in terms of uh, specifically lives and resources to engage until you can figure out how to defeat them. Yeah. Um, if your AIs or your pilot brains are like creative enough, uh, they can engage in that process too with the resistance and sort of get inside their decision loop. That's the goal of an occupying or assaulting Imperial force is to get inside the decision loop of the resistors and allow us to dictate what they're doing. Yeah. Now, one of the things that, that I've I've seen in and almost all the the mech shows that I that I watch is, you know, the they they're usually pr shown as having handheld weapons. Um, yeah, yeah. But what, oh, I was just going to ask about that. 
Yeah, what are there any if, actual? If we end up with like mech scale weapons, or if they'd have integrated weapons. With yeah, that's the that's the thing that I'm that I'm curious about because if you have, if you set them up to where it, they do have handheld weapons, that opens up the ability to very quickly swap out weapons, say at the at the depot. Mm -hmm. So if you have like, like you have your mechs in your in your uh, hangar there, they can just take either like a. a 300 millimeter rocket launcher off the wall or a 30 millimeter machine gun or even a, a like an eight gauge rapid fire shotgun <laughs> so it, it, is that an actual advantage or is that just something that that looks cool on tv yes i um, want to know this as well so pretty much when you're talking about mech sized handheld weapons, uh, there's not a reason to make um, uh, something that looks and functions like a human arm and a human hand. Um, Cause like uh, absorbing the recoil from things like physical weapons firing, uh, when you're holding it at the end of your arm, I mean, I don't know if you've ever fired a gun, but if you hold it weirdly at the end of your arm with your arm cocked at an angle, it's going like the recoil is gonna mess you up. Um, so, you probably would want something something that's more something like, like limbs that's more like gun tentacles basically that has lighter weapons that the uh, the frame can sort of move around to give itself more or less point defense for very close enemies because you can't if you're using some kind of heavy ordnance you usually are not it's not a great idea to be deploying it right next to you gotcha so kind of like a uh, an adapter rather than a an actual hand yeah, you like you'd have like two to four probably. I don't think that you'd really want more than that armatures for uh, lighter weapons, and then your heavier weapons would probably be integrated into the frame. Things with large amounts of recoil, like uh, yeah. artillery or large rocket weapons. I really like the image of gun tentacles. I, I, I just, <laughs> yeah, I do too. That's that's fantastic. Like Doc Ock with, uh, with guns on the get... on. If you get close enough into trying to re um, reproduce like biological functions with the machine in terms of like being able to look all around yourself and defend all around yourself you start getting everything becomes disturbingly organic because you need the flexibility and you need like the the range of uh, fire and sweep yeah yeah it's true like i always thought like why would they have a human head on them in, in in mech like in mech media and shows and whatever they always have like a human head with a face on it with eyes that that's, point forward that's and i'm like isn't be... that needlessly limiting yeah that's got to mm -hmm. be completely just done for shock value or because it looks cool oh well, yeah, yeah because it looks cool but like the reality they'd probably be like yeah why they i don't know what they would look like but they wouldn't look like that i mean we we could make them look like like putting a face on a war machine is super common, but they don't have to just see through those eyes. The cockpit doesn't have to be in the head. Like there's a variety of tropes yeah. that don't need to be the case. Well, we could still make them anthropomorphic in a way if we wanted to make them intimidating. I mean, we're already is that talking something about... that would be done likely. I do you know? Like it always seems weird to me, but everybody painted faces on their warplanes during World War II and World War One. Like people, we paint stuff on our tanks now. All of our, all the Abrams have their own name. It's usually something obscene. Um, and they have like their own logo. Their crew has come up with them unless their crew just doesn't give a shit. Well, what about uh, like Mech Warrior mechs? Because I know Mech Warrior doesn't, they mm. don't usually have like a actual heads. 
but they don't normally even yeah. even have like actual arms either. They're just like the weapons are just bolted onto the side. Yeah, they they use a much more like reasonable looking scheme for uh, all of their mechs. The idea is to create a cool bipedal or quadrupedal fighting machine that looks that doesn't look like a person doesn't need to have a personality yeah to project onto a screen and that's where like a lot of that comes from like the mechs fighting with swords in space uh is cool <laughs> because dudes fighting with swords is cool yeah um, <laughs> it doesn't have to make sense like they're when you're doing a cartoon when you're doing gundam you don't have to think about a lot of the stuff that we're considering in the way that we are yeah. Now, uh, speaking of close combat weapons, though, one of the things that I did think about was, like, if you if you're going up against other, like, capital ships in in space, like one of the mm -hmm. advantages mechs do have is with arms and legs, you could actually use those to change your uh, direction, which saves on fuel. But also, mm -hmm. what if instead of like a sword or other close combat weapons you start putting on like a big flame uh, not a flamethrower but a um, a, a cutting torch yeah to a giant just... ass plasma cutter yeah yeah uh, <laughs> oh yeah would, Look, would that so, even be yeah, effective you... or would that be something you would want to you know avoid getting getting that close to to capital ship i mean if you're talking about trying to board a ship in space, you're probably going to be using mechs like this. If you already have them for deploying onto a planetary surface, you've probably developed that version from the hard space version. Um, so I guess a lot depends on what your capital ships can do and uh, what their capacities are. But yeah, having um, having a hard space version of a mech, possibly one that has more than just like two or four limbs, uh, and has a, a, a mounting point for something like uh, a large cutting torch or like wrecking tools, like giant ass claws to sink into metal and like haul back shit like that. Um, that would all, that's all well within the technological abilities of the society that's putting out these forces in the first place. So if they want to have them, they'll have them. And if these, if all they have are these drop mechs, but these drop mechs like are designed for the ability to uh, do construction and other things like when they're not fighting, it shouldn't be that difficult to rebuild them to be able to work in hard space, even if it's not as ideal as having, say, like four, six navigation limbs and two to four manipulator limbs. Nice. Cool. So What's let's, let's the actually... most important thing to remember about military technology is that um, uh, like the, the reason the reason that you develop shit like this is not directly so that you can go out and do the oppression and get the resources. It's because your bodies want to make a lot of money. True. And then once you have the hardware, then you figure out what to do with it. True. I, and, I, and I guess that what's going to sell better than cool mechs in space? Yeah. Well, uh, the ability, like, it's hard to overestimate um, like nowadays, Navy uh, Navy hulls, like ships of any kind, uh, they take an awful lot of specialized building, and once they're built, they really can't be used for anything else. They're all really fucking expensive. And yeah. if you give me a way as a Navy commander to go back to when the main defeat enemy ships was to take them and use them yourself, 
I'm probably going to be shooting for that. I mean, like an, an interplanetary capital ship. I mean, the need of the, the cost of building and running such a thing and moving it around means that, um, like there's, there's an extraordinarily compelling reason of some kind or another for why someone would build something like this. And like, you really, it would be a shame, not that you wouldn't do it if you, if you had to, but it would be a shame to waste an asset like that instead of seizing it. Yeah. So here's a question. Your enemy has these, has these mechs. Mm -hmm. How, how would like either a, well, both a, a, an insurgent force and a developed military go about fighting them? So the insurgent force is the one that I've given the most thought to because it's the most interesting. Um, so a lot depends on what their sensory capabilities are because uh, as a mostly unsupported, mostly soft infantry force going up against something like this, I'm going to, like, the only way to successfully carry out this engagement and maybe live is to not be seen right up until you're about to deploy your ambush. Um, so that could be some like mylar sheeting, uh, plenty of mylar sheeting can conceal uh, human radiation, uh, thermal radiation from thermal sensors. Um, but so a vehicle like this with the sort of with the, the, the capabilities of having um, a live brain and a jar pilot riding inside it has the ability to integrate an incredible amount of sensory information more yeah. than the, a normal human brain that we've all experienced uh puts away all the time um an interesting question which i actually just thought of is uh the brain in a jar pilot being exposed to constant amounts of like total sensory uptake like that could result in like the that mind might need might be in what you could say like a permanent acid trip equivalent the whole time <laughs> because like they're recording so much data so much more than uh like an unaugmented uh, baseline human would um and it's actually an interesting question like there's a bunch of different like variants of uh schizophrenia or schizoid type disorders that involve having uh, or are worsened by having a good memory uh, a large like a good mind for detail um obsessive compulsive uh spectrum disorders uh are also like be sabotaged by having counterintuitively the uh the greater capacity to like count and understand things so possibly a method of attack could be to manipulate the sensory input in order to reach a weakness in the brain somehow which you could do without even kinetics maybe and that's kind of an interesting thing that i wish i thought of for the last week huh yeah, that is really that interesting. That is really cool. Um, the ability to uh, the ability to integrate all of the like all of the the, the positional the what I keep calling the three dimensional like the spatial understanding and integrate that with all the rest of the senses. Um, your brain pilot is for sure needing it's going to have to have extra neural tissue or something in the brain needs to be rewired in order to handle things like uh, EM sensors, like uh, radar. Yeah. Um, so what you're actually creating is more like at this point, we're talking about this pilot is way more of like a, a post human, it's an obligate uh, synesthetic, um, or an engineered uh, synesthetic, uh, it exists. 
I mean, at this point, we have to seriously question whether these pilots have memories of previous missions or whether they get wiped and booted up in their wetware uh, with every new mission in order to prevent things like uh, like breakdowns. Well, I guess it's so much cooler and so much better than actual mech fiction. I, this makes me want somebody yeah. to make like a, a, yeah. a fictional like mech story where the mechs are these horrific like freaky biological looking things with fucking brains in them yeah <laughs> like like we keep talking well, about brain like, in a um, jar but like the, what if that's in from battlestar galactica where yeah. they capture one and they break into it and it's just all tissue and brains <laughs> like yeah somebody do this please well <laughs> you know so in, cool. in 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 warhammer 40k one one of the mechs that they have is, is called the dreadnought uh, uh that yeah is, <laughs> that, that is basically a a marine a space marine, which is already a super engineered genetic human, gets so injured they can no longer fight. They're basically dead. They basically bring him back to life by throwing his or most of his body into a sarcophagus. So yeah, you know, we keep talking. Yeah, we keep talking about brain in a jar. But like, if we want to expand on the the sci-fi horror aspect, what if that's not so uh, metaphorical? What if that's just literally taking a human brain and connecting it into the circuitry yeah i mean so i guess yes you really need to sort of design like a little bit of the background of the empire uh the state that's deploying these i guess to determine how how grim it is but like yeah if you have someone who's uh, uh who's disabled and like they they're willing to uh, sign a poverty draft to, to give their their life away in exchange for like food and medicine for their family or whatever um yeah you could see easily like uh just quick the uh taking them off and slotting the, the torso into like a little capsule in the middle of a mech but you can also see just uh, you can see like uh, removing the brain and like it, you need to do stuff actually kind of like the 40k Marines are described as doing like having yeah. organelles implanted to grow to full size inside their body. You could do that with neural structures, assuming you understood the brain enough. Yeah. Um, that's another like the thing about wet dry interfaces as a real quick aside is that um, we're pretty sure now even with better modeling that uh every everything wet dry is gonna have to be custom grown for each individual and they're gonna have to learn how to use it basically um so you could well have a situation where like a specific mech can only be driven by a specific pilot a capsule (sighs) without being uh without like having to practice with it which is an Uh, interesting dynamic yeah and that that's another thing that we're going to kind of kind of come up with when we do the uh the power armor episode is uh yeah, those are going to have to be custom built too, just because they've they've got to be designed down to the millimeter to the person, just because yeah. you know no no two bodies are the same dimensions, uh, unless you want to uh, the... really get specific on uh, height and weight requirements for for your power armor troops. Well, you almost would need to, depending on how you do your power armor, you almost would need to have. Um like uh clone grown bodies that are yeah. consistently like uh phenotypically consistent enough yeah or um, or just or just they're all custom bespoke models yeah 
Well, and that's like you can have, um, especially with power armor, you can have like a standard carapace, and then like the center part of it is, is can be customized to individuals, and then you yeah. have a, a depot that swaps out basically the, the cores with new armors and shit like that. There's yeah. a bunch of like potential things you can do with this. Um, the first power, first fictional power armor I ever encountered, um, or an art, or artist, an author named C.J. Cherry, uh, she wrote. Um, a real interesting uh, science fiction uh, universe in the 80s. But uh, their, their power armor, because it's the 80s, it's based on being the 80s tech, but uh, more advanced. So like their control interface is just a bunch of straps. There's like thousands of straps inside the carapace that the soldier has to use like tiny tension screws to, to dial in exactly perfectly. Yeah. <laughs> very like... One of the things it's hard to over overstate as a soldier. One of the things you spend mo your, most of your time doing is maintaining your gear and practicing with your gear. Yeah. And that was uh, before I joined the army. It was fiction that informed me that I would spend most of my time cleaning my rifle and practicing reloading with my rifle yeah. and like calibrating optics. <laughs> Speaking of like an, an organized military, how would an organized like military deal with uh, combating mechs? Would it be better to have your own mechs to uh, combat them, or would would it be better to have like tanks to go up against them and other armored? You armored probably vehicles? probably want to have dedicated anti mech vehicles that have none of the weaknesses of an of a normal mech, so that they can uh, they can exploit those weaknesses. If you're going against them with uh, vehicles yourself, having smaller anti mech mechs is also uh, certainly a possibility because they have the same advantage disadvantage set but all the smaller because of their size yeah um that's where you might see uh something like uh like small drone mechs each equipped with uh, a couple of plasma cutters doing like swarm attacks onto these big mechs Ooh, I and like that's that. why you would have something like uh, an arrangement of gun tentacles because you could have tiny drone mechs or you could have dudes in power armor um, if you have, if the infantry has access to power armor, a lot of shit becomes different when you're fighting something like this because the power armor can't have probably the same level of AI systems, but it can have, uh, it can have like a soft AI or a decision tree AI that, uh, that will override commands and get you out of harm's way when it sees shit that's coming, stuff man, like that. That. Man, uh, no. that would create an environment for the power armor troops. There's a lot like how the, um, the, the Halo universe novels explain that the Spartans in their power armor are basically dancing at all times because of how finicky and delicate the, uh, the responses are. Yeah. And you keep saying gun tentacles, and now all I can think about is is uh, yeah. Mechanicus, Mechanicus mechs with giant <laughs> McKendrights. <laughs> why, why has well, it more ever done that? That would be so cool. One of the is that Dreadnoughts are actually like the smallest and weakest of all the mechs. Yeah. Well, the the thing um, about the forty k mechs is the like the 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 really big ones would just never work because like we went over the armor requirements. Oh and yeah, the for ground sure. pressure. The, those the, would absolutely yeah, those would absolutely just sink into the ground. Um, like, there is I I mentioned this like, I think a couple of times in prep. There's a there's a concept. It's like a shared fiction universe called a uh, uh, Bolo B O L O. Um, but the bolos are uh, they're semi-autonomous, uh, eventually becoming fully autonomous war machines. Um, they have uh, capital ship scale weapons that are basically um, 
they're like directed energy weapons that are uh, pumped off of a, a fission explosion. Um, so they're basically like star beams. Um, so they can fight a uh, small fleet or a capital ship from the ground. Um, wow. Yeah. Um, the, the the one in particular, my uh, my screen name has been very modified, but originally it was uh, Lonesome Sun, which is based on a character, which is a bolo in a book. It's not a very good book, but I liked it when I was a kid. But um, yeah, they're described as being about the size of a city block. Um, uh, and like the, uh, uh, the, the three stories high at the lowest, like around the treads coming up to uh, this particular model, coming up to a, like a central tower where the hellbores is what they're called. They're located. Um, uh, uh, they call the system infinite repeaters, so they don't have to like talk about it, but it's just, uh, it's either energy weapons or projectile weapons. Uh, like like chain guns and machine guns uh, that's just a, an enormous an array of weapons so large around the vehicle that it's never described except as the whole system yeah um the central conceit of this book is uh is the semi-autonomous ai of this model developing a conscious conscience which is uh, very poignant to me and my uh war experience now Ooh. but yeah the bolos are a very cool idea because um they take they take a lot of the stuff that you were looking at in terms of like ground displacement pressure. They're like, well, what if we had a super steel from space that we we're going to call uh, flint steel, I guess. And um, we could just like, we could just uh, like, we could distribute the ground pressure from 13,000 tons over a city block. It'd be fine. <laughs> yeah. I, I guess that is one thing that we do need to talk about is my, my calculations were all done based on current technology. So if we have like a super light, strong steel, that changes everything. Um, another thing that would change it is inertial dampeners, which is, mm. I don't want to say this is going to be, this inertial dampeners are impossible because there is some evidence that they might, but the evidence that we have now says it would require like a ton of energy to reduce the weight of something by like uh, 0.1%. Uh, but the technology and the, the physics is there. So it's not impossible. Well, one of the things about stuff like inertial dampeners is if you have the ability to play with gravity and acceleration like this, yeah. why do you need a gun? <laughs> why aren't you creating like a gravity lance that just tears planets in half? True. <laughs> Like if, you, <laughs> if you've got the energy density that allows you to uh, deploy an inertial dampener on something 20 feet tall in a planetary gravity field and allow it to be more mobile, um, you probably have the energy density for a lot of stuff that doesn't that's not going to require you to have things like physical armor, for instance. And now we're talking like we're talking about the ability to put out field effects that uh, could create like polarizing bubbles out of the atmosphere around them and shit like that. Yeah, fucking wild stuff. Yeah, that that is a a consideration there. Uh, Another thing that I was thinking about is, if you have something like inertial dampeners and anti-grav technology, why would you need something that even has legs? At that point, why not just a gun pod that floats? Well, my guess would be that if you're creating uh you're creating a gravity effect field like an anti-gravity suspension field um something 
there's a way to interfere with that field that's real bad uh similar to yeah. uh like the dune interaction between lasers and er energy fields yeah um which uh for for backgrounds uh it creates a blast similar to a nuclear bomb if uh, a laser cannon intersects an energy field because of the way the field effects work for them Ooh. so um so I if really you've got say you've your... got your your like fleet of like scout sleds you've got like i don't know a hundred of these things coming across the plane towards me and i've got something which i guess we'll call like anti-gravatic mines um as like and you pop one of those like who knows like like the, the field effect strengths that we're talking about like you'd have uh you'd have like measurable measurable uh energy increases i don't know probably hundreds of meters maybe kilometers outside of the frame itself yeah so it wouldn't even necessarily need to be a mine that you hit it could be just like a series of dishes the like projection dishes that i've got concealed in a cliff and i flip them on and suddenly your gravity drives are turning into like uh, uh evaporating pinpoint singularities and your whole fucking recon wave is gone in just the snap of a finger nice that's um so yeah the reason why you have things like le legs and treads still is because uh, the enemy is present and their their way of jamming your tires is by shooting them which we're already aware is a problem and we have compensated for <laughs> so nice. would they have like legs like 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 humanoid kind of legs like that they can walk and run on or would would it be more efficient to have just like treads well we um basically so treads are more reliable and less flexible uh, the reason like the the rationale for having for having the mechs uh having them be as tall as they are despite the vulnerabilities is to uh is to allow them a variety of capabilities that are outside of the fight uh, like the strategic deployment options um the yeah. logistics uh of supplying the mechs themselves i'm based on the pseudo musculature we're talking about i'm kind of envisioning less human-like legs and more um legs that have like two to three knees in them basically <laughs> oh that'd be cool uh, well oh, it, just, want... it just keeps getting better it keeps getting better <laughs> It, it does like this is going so many better places than i was than i did when i was thinking about it <laughs> but um you want your legs to be uh, you want your legs to be armored but they need to be flexible in certain points uh the pseudomusculature can create like we've already talked about the gun tentacles the pseudomuscular could create these giant uh like armored trunk tentacles that move the mech around and allow it to balance and even allow it to like lean out to the side in in really weird ways because the ai is capable of uh of processing the center of gravity and knowing exactly yeah. which tolerances it can exceed um but you, that's gonna have uh the disadvantage of not really like you can't really armor that very well i mean you could do yeah. like um, a scale mail type thing but we're talking about three inches of armor yeah, you're not you're surface. not gonna get like abrams <clears throat> tank level armor mm -hmm. on a on a mech unless it's like incredibly small like eight like maybe eight feet tall and then then you're talking about something that's eight feet tall and has two feet of armor yeah that's not going to move real well so there you're never going to have mechs that have equivalent armor of something like a tank like a, an yeah. actual I, tank 
Well, and that's really your anti-mech mech is going to be, uh, it's going to have a souped up overpowered drive. Probably it's going to be running on, yeah. on fuel cells instead of a reactor. If that's, uh, that's possible or, um, or if others are running on reactors yeah. and they're going to be able to move extremely quickly for a very short amount of time and absorb an incredible amount of punishment so that they can close and deploy something. Yeah. Um, and that's, uh, there is, uh, um, this is probably pretty common in power armor stuff, but the first place I encountered it was called the one shot. The idea was um, that a power a power armor is it's like um, a couple of molecules thick of the kind of armor that goes on capital ships, and so it's basically it's functionally impossible to penetrate it. You have to use kinetic strike force, overwhelm the shock absorbers inside the suit to kill someone, or you could use a one shot. It looks like a flashlight. Um, it's basically uh, it's a handheld, single-use, incredibly powerful tractor beam. You slam it onto the surface of the armor, it locks in, and then the tractor beam pulls uh, basically the equivalent of a tiny penetrator round out of the handle, slams it into the armor hard enough that it causes the uh, the interior surface to spall and go through the body. Oh, that is Something so like cool. But for mechs. <laughs> But you have to get close yeah. enough to stick that thing to somebody. You have to be able, you have to be close enough as an unarmored person to touch a power armored person. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> just or you know, just stick that thing on the end of a uh, end of a rocket. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. Um, it can't be deployed as a rocket because you have to get it perfectly on and sealed to oh, the surface okay, gotcha. of the of the armor, or it doesn't transfer enough force. Gotcha. So that was like you could try to do it as a rocket, but you'd need to shoot several times in order to reliably keep, get a kill with one of these. Yeah. Or, or like put <laughs> them on. So uh, cool. oh, that's oh my god. Yeah. All right. So, uh, any other uh, questions or comments? Because I think we're we're approaching the hour mark like, here. Oh my god! This is like so. Like. Screw the humanoid one. Throw that out the window. Throw the humanoid mech into the slam dunk it into the garbage where it belongs. Let's have like freaky multi jointed tripod creatures that are twenty feet tall that have like horrible tentacle arms and some kind of integrated cannons. And uh, when you crack them open, there's just meat inside. <laughs> We oh. accidentally created the tripods from. Uh, from yes, the, I was uh, just gonna yeah, say yeah. Worlds. Yes, and, and then there's like oh this I, I'm imagining like sensory suites that are like eye stalks that pop out and you're like <laughs> uh, the surface is just covered in eyes. Yes. Oh my God. <laughs> okay. Yes. Well, here's the thing. So we're talking about um, so the the pseudomusculature that makes the gun tentacles and the segmented like trunk propulsion tentacles. Um, that's basically a programmable metamaterial, yeah? Yes. Okay. So, As a matter of fact, that's one of the things that that's being used for is mm -hmm. uh, airplane wings to change yeah. the geometry of the of the wings. Oh, yeah. Give me some more camber for less money, please. Yeah. Um, seriously, though, like not even ironically. Um, so, at this... So, I guess depending on how the material works, you're opening the possibility of say, say like my fire team manages to close with a mech, and while it's killing everybody we've ever known, um, we manage to like uh, we manage to shoot off a couple of the gun tentacle weapons, get ourselves a breather. 
Um, so depending on how the mount, like the mounting for that armature works, the interface between the tentacle and the weapon, um, if the meta material can like realign itself to basically heal or reattach, it could just grab the stump. The sight calibration might be wrong, but if it can just grab the stump and start shooting at us again, it's not going to need the sights. It can just spare a little bit of attention to watch the follow the rounds. Oh, I didn't even think about that. Oh, we've, it's, we've it's, created it's, something it's, truly horrible here. Well, I'm starting, like, I was still pretty iffy on why you'd want to build and deploy these things, um, even for, like, the reasons I came up with until we started getting into the gun tentacle shit. Because, like, <laughs> I mean, just the basic idea of having having the pseudomusculature the way that it's been described means we're going to be using it like all of our tracked vehicles are going to have shit like this too their point defense weapons are going to be gun tentacles um like infantry infantry units like an infantry platoon is going to have a gun tentacle they carry with them on a patrol so they can set it down and put it up so it can like look above roofs and like look around corners for them yeah. they're <laughs> Depending on how advanced these get, we might have gun tentacles on our rifles so we can look around corners. <laughs> oh, yes! yes! Tentacles on everything! Yeah, like well, the, the, thing, like your the true shot. armor suit is now, I mean, you might have a heavy weapon that you carry in the arm, um, but it now also has, like, the battle computers running the gun tentacle on your back that's covering your back for you. <laughs> that's cool as shit. Oh my god, this is so good. This is so, so good. Yeah, I mean, I haven't even gotten into the kind of mechs I was envisioning before the tentacles. Like, I haven't got, gotten into half the methods that I came up with for trying to kill them. Because you can do stuff as easy as digging a pit and concealing it. <laughs> yeah. if, if your AI doesn't have the ability to do, like, ground sounding, <laughs> then it won't be able to detect a pit. But if it's deployed in an urban area, like, and this is true of every urban area, regardless of how old it is. Urban areas are completely full of weird-ass tunnels and, like, caverns that were dug yes. to create a basement. Yeah. Like, there's absolutely no way. Urban catacombs, kind of, literally yeah. everywhere, yeah. 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 Well, and that's the thing. You just weaponize your urban catacombs. That's um, that's a move That's a move that goes back to the Paris Commune. It probably yeah. goes back to someplace in China in the before the Common Era. Like... I can tell you, um, in the American Civil War, you know, at the siege outside of Richmond, um, there were sapper and counter-sapper teams. Like the Union is trying to tunnel in, and Confederate soldier and counter-sapper teams are listening for them digging, and they're digging counter-tunnels so that they can have firefights with muzzle-loading black powder weapons in the pitch fucking black. Wow. Tunnels are very have a very like proud and, well, they have a terrifying but honored history in, in human warfare. <laughs> Yeah, like uh, that. That reminds me of like the Odessa catacombs too. Like same same deal. Just like... mm -hmm. <laughs> um, okay. Here's... There were places in World War One where the same thing basically happened. Um, I think it was Vini Ridge. Uh, the British spent like ten months tunneling under Vini Ridge, and like the Germans were doing counter tunneling and having firefights with them. They never worked out that the British were mining the entire ridge with something like a hundred tons of explosives. <laughs> Okay, here's... They set it all off at once, vaporized the front part of Vini Ridge in a blast that could be heard hundreds of miles away in London, and then they uh, they took the whole sector. It was uh, one of the the most like astonishing tactical advances of the Great War. Wow! So I, I just like the thing. idea that like horrible, um, our horrible nightmare horror monster mech. You just dig a hole. 
it'll fall in the hole. There you go. Well, I mean, it'll fall in the hole, but it can probably climb its way out. It can probably climb its way out, but if you if you have like I don't know if you make like some kind of like a spike pit, <laughs> no. If you arrange to drop a skyscraper on it after it falls in the hole, that's the kind <laughs> of shit we're talking about. <laughs> Wait, here's here's a uh, here's a, here's a terrifying thought. What if we get rid of the limbs altogether? Get it? Well, like, design it as it a. Just... Design it as like a a long. Well, like the the sandworms from Dune, and put a boring machine on it. Hell's sake! I was thinking yes. you were going to make a Katamari joke about a perfectly spherical war machine. I was just I was, I was, no, no, no. I was thinking that too, but no, mech mechanoid uh, like mech sandworm from Dune is is definitely a that's that's a vibe. With well, gun was, tentacles everywhere. Since I was on my tunnel tangent, I was thinking that if you were going to have <laughs> You're gonna have awful tunnel wars. You probably want to have tunnel mechs, like tunnel rat mechs, for it. <laughs> oh man! But no, that like makes it makes perfect sense because like your capacity for these in your public material about your military says that they can also do like building and field fortification, and you've got a bunch of promo videos for yeah. people who are getting into this, like about how like the mechs they drop and they're fighting, and then at the end of the day. Their work's not done. They build the fort, the field camp for everyone. But what they actually do is they can tunnel through buildings and underground. They can go into different configurations that don't look like mechs <laughs> and like come up out of the fucking ground and then turn back into something like a mech and start killing people. <laughs> like I, I love that. Like I love that. What this comes down to is like the idea of the humanoid-looking mech is so limiting because the human body compared to all the forms yeah. that, that nature has is like so limited and can do functionally fucking nothing. We don't have claws that can dig into the ground like moles have, or we, we don't, we're not like as maneuverable. We can't go in a tunnel like a snake or a worm, or we can't like, Ooh. yeah, run super fast or jump super high. Well, that's like, we're, we're versatile. That's what made us an apex predator in yeah. our natural environment is, um, it's not, it's a combination of being physically versatile and also being like behaviorally adaptable. Um, True. Uh, it's gonna, like, so I, in a greater sense, like in a social sense, what's going to kill us is our inability to adapt and work together like yeah. on macro scales. Once yep, we yeah. have the ability, once we started <laughs> the extinction level event that was the industrial revolution, um, we weren't working already on a way to not kill ourselves by doing an industrial revolution. Um, but yeah, like, especially, so if we're really talking about, we're talking about a mech that is uh, three or four gross component systems. Um, it's got the armor, the offensive systems, uh, like the the logic and uh, e war suite, uh, the pilot and the pseudo musculature. And if we are envisioning the pseudo musculature essentially as a reserve of, like a reserve core of meta material that extends out into all the limbs, and is capable of pushing out more matter if it loses things in order to keep functioning for a little bit. Um, you're talking about like basically your mech is the computer pilot interface and the pseudomusculature and then everything else is accessories. It's like, um, uh, you just have different packages. You'd have the hard space package that, uh, that has more like, uh, tentacle arrangements. You'd have the, the orbital landing package. That is this relatively unadaptable, relatively rigid 
armored mech structure that we started talking about. Um, and at a depot, it can be reconfigured in a couple of hours to be something like an attack crawler uh, or like a, a burrowing armored worm. Like there's a, a variety, like we're talking less about mechs and more about uh, mechs as the specific deployment of this weapon system in a specific role for planetary landings and ground yeah. attacks right after them. Well, here, here's the thing about but, the, the electro muscles too is we're also working on, uh, I forget what the name of it is, but basically, what's the, what's the proper term here? Not powered armor, but not in, in the way that, that you're thinking. Uh, energized mm -hmm. armor. Uh, basically applying an electric field to a material to make it stronger. So you yeah. may not even need to <laughs> necessarily replace armor packages. You can just make that that plast plastic muscle or whatever. Mm -hmm. You get what I'm saying here. Basically, you can have yeah, the, well, the actual I'm, muscles. You just yeah. You just need hard points and a way for the musculature to interface with the hard points. Basically, yeah. It could be as easy as one of these things walking into like a maintenance bay, and then uh, just dropping like dropping all of its hard points, which are caught by like magnetic arms or something, and then another yeah. set of arms coming down, just like you know, fucking like a mech cartoon <laughs> coming down with the new pieces and slapping mm -hmm. them all on as the musculature uh, gets into like the proper configuration to receive them. Then you step outside, you go out to the proving range and run your calibrations for your optics, and you're fucking good to go. Um, nice. The tunneling worm that we talked about would also be terrifying for cracking capital ships. Like a version of it that eats metal <laughs> and oh, just goes yeah. to the superstructure. Yeah, just put like, uh, um, in place of teeth, uh, plasma cutters. Yeah. Yeah, well, and that's that, like, depending on what your metamaterial is made out of, um, the, like, your, your system can ha can be able to take on matter from the surrounding area and process it into the shit that it needs to make more metamaterial for like you probably you wouldn't have a system that allows the mech to grow like infinitely but that allows it to like evolve some new capabilities if it needs something new um that's definitely on the table for this for sure oh that's so cool that's only barely beyond us right now yeah like, there's a lot of shit there's a lot of shit that's barely beyond us, mostly because we have a theoretical material science understanding for it. But like yeah. you said, the power density isn't there, or in yeah, this that's... case, our ability to manipulate things on a very small scale. Um, that's we really... it, we just can't deploy it in the field yet. Yeah, that's really the limiting factor there is the power source. It's We, we need better batteries so bad to create... Mm a ton of different high sci-fi concepts like we have yeah. the basis for energy shields ready ready to go oh yeah we just need more power yeah um yeah we've had uh since the, in the 90s there were some uh there were some like uh test bed energy field experiment experiments they didn't deflect yep. physical projectiles very well but uh the proof of concept was there. Yep. Yeah, that was thirty years ago. Fucking. <laughs> God, we need we need better yeah, batteries or like some sort of high energy generator so bad. 
Um, so a thing, I don't know if this probably would not work, but a thing that would look cool as fuck is giant ass flywheels on the back of these mechs. Cause like you have your batteries and then when the mech needs like a burst of power for something, it's a, moving your, all of your pseudomusculature really fast is going to take a lot more current than, uh, than just like moving around normally. So you basically have the, the, the pilot gets a, an afterburner meter more or less. <laughs> um, and the, the flywheels apply like the extra juice for emergencies. And it would just, cause it would be like the, uh, the AI, the AI sees a potential, uh, like danger coming and so the flywheels start spinning and that's the only uh warning that look like the supporting troops around it have that something bad's about to happen <laughs> nice and then it just jumps like 20 feet directly into the air to avoid a missile or some shit <laughs> with its horrible freaky tentacle legs this <laughs> jumps into yeah. the air yes well i mean just that like it it jumps in the air to avoid like an rpg volley fucking clamps onto the side of a building which starts collapsing from the weight and it jumps off pushing that shit down and lands in the middle of like a, like a troop depot or something <laughs> i love like these you things. Would... i love the horrible monstrosity <laughs> yeah. brain brainstorming right now it's so <laughs> well i want to hit real quick um modern combat is more terrifying than anything else that you can do um so it makes there's a perfect poetic symmetry in how nightmarish and like organic and monstrous the structure has become from when we started because yeah, like it yeah. reflects perfectly exactly like the spirit like in the animating theme of the battlefield uh, um nowadays even more so when you have shit like this in the battlefield but nowadays uh, anyone who can see you can kill you and you might not be able to tell where they are yeah um and this for this like, for this thing like if this thing can measure the like your your heartbeat through the ground if it has that capability it can kill you without you ever knowing that it saw you um it's like if you're if you've got your like platoon strength element with their like suicide one-shot charges or their like danger close rpgs or whatever they're all under their mylar blankets but they're scared because they're all about to die <laughs> Um, and all their hearts are going fucking up a buck 50 as these things approach that could become something that's detectable in the ground clutter if the mechs are being careful in their advance for sure would but, there be uh, any way to like scramble that though with like feeding them fake information from from some uh, other sort of location? yeah if you had something some kind of machinery running underground in a city there's always machinery running underground in a city um you could so you would uh that could camouflage it so part of your camouflage for this kind of urban uh, uh ambush you've got your mylar sheeting you've got your uh you've got like your um your rebreather tanks so that you're not putting off a huge amount of co2 in an area so that can't be detected by like gas spectrometry or something uh you've got your fucking um you've got your uh, white noise pump generator you like you show up in a place you dig down like uh six or eight feet with shovels and put like a spike down there so that it starts transmitting vibrations into the ground. Um, you've got your black noise generator for uh, EM jamming. Um, you might have like a fucking dazzle camo ready to go to blind uh, like its various uh, receivers as soon as you go live. Like um, your your gorilla uh, assault becomes like this weirdly high tech by our standards, but low tech by the standards of this universe like uh intersection of all these different systems that just give you the opportunity to be close enough to this thing to hurt it it's 
once you have people that are making the deeply clueless decision, like I said, to attack a mech like this, um, they're going to do it. They're going to work out a way. Um, it, it might not be that effective, though. <laughs> and really, a lot of it depends, like, it depends on if you're using these as, like, I mean, we're talking about assaults, but um, this kind of unit, like, with the capabilities that it has now that we've talked about it more, like, this could be a pretty good unit to use for occupations, too, in which case you're... Like the earlier idea I had with like attacking the, the protocols uh, of the mind piloting the machine by giving it input, um, like a a way to try to defeat a long term occupation by uh, mostly autonomous AI units like this might be to try and infect them with a conscience or empathy. <laughs> Damn! It is oh amazing how how much of the high high highbrow science fiction concepts that we go through that their real only use is for something like an occupying force yeah well yeah because science fiction like there's nothing that's more of its time than science fiction and science fiction is allegorical to the society in which it originates and yep. we live in the imperial hell state <laughs> yep um to the point like star trek is lib as fuck uh, but like uh, it, the Great Bird specific Gene Roddenberry, that's his nickname, um, specifically recognized uh, starting in Next Generation and going on that uh, like an entity like the Federation can't possibly exist unless it has a commitment to something like the, what became the Prime Directive. And uh, that's just, that creates a different environment for science fiction that is cool, but not as allegorical for our current society. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, anything else before we go, guys? I I feel like I could probably go on for five hours about the tentacle mechs, but I really need to think about them more. <laughs> yeah, we might I, have I to do a, a part mechs, two. This has just been so much fun, and uh, I am I'm, I'm seriously so thrilled. Thank you for having me on. I'm gonna be obsessed yeah, with tentacle mechs now. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna seriously. be obsessed with them. I'm so glad that I was put into contact with you for the question, the original questions, because those were interesting, but the ones we came up with, the questions we are left with after recording this episode are so much cooler. We're, yeah. We might have to do a, yes. a part two on this. Yes. I, I mean, yeah, I'm down for a, for a follow-up. Um, maybe after we cover like power armor and like uh, futuristic vehicles, and, yeah. like, I don't know, whatever else you've got, like some more stuff that would lead into this. I, I we're think... talking about Really, we're talking about creating at this point in an entire like strategic and tactical doctrine for this evil interstellar or interplanetary empire. <laughs> evil interplanetary empire. Well, we're Global gonna have to give this a, a name at some point. Yeah, go up. <laughs> yeah, well, we shouldn't use any of the ones I came up with. <laughs> oh. I'll think of ones that aren't just hentai jokes at some point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that will uh, that probably does it for me, uh, for sure. Um, yeah, so yeah, like I said, thank you. for, uh, And I'm super excited to have more of these conversations. I'm a hundred times more excited to do this podcast than I was when I started, and I was already, like, yeah. super stoked. <laughs> uh, oh, my God. This, yeah, this is super, super fun. Yeah, we're we're gonna have to do a, a part two just on the the tentacle mechs. 
because that's it opens up so many cool concepts that go beyond just what you would normally think of as a mix and I can't believe nobody's followed up on this yeah I this is the perfect thing to animate make... yes yeah. exactly <laughs> somebody do this <laughs> like, like building, yeah, building a, <laughs> an actual model or or a like 3d model of this and animating it would be so much more of a pain in the ass than just drawing it yeah and because because they'd be almost organic it would look at so much point. cooler yeah all right all right guys well yeah. we will continue this on part two whenever we do that uh Hell until yeah. then uh have a have a great day guys Thanks. Love and solidarity. Oh.